I don't think you're on the right mic. I think it's going through your laptop. Hello? Oh, God, you're so bad at this. How do you not know where the microphone goes? It's, it's just, it's, it was across the room. How's this? Is this better? Yeah, yeah, that's so much better. That is like you were, I thought you were on your laptop microphone. So, all right, let me get this straight. You're supposed to put the microphone close to your mouth? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's in, a, in an ideal scenario. The microphone is in your close proximity so it can pick up the sound waves coming out of your stupid mouth. But then everyone would hear everything I had to say. Yeah, instead of like trying straining like I have been for the last two minutes to try to figure out why your mic sounded so bad. Because it was 12 feet away. Man. How do you not know this? I, I don't know. I've got so many other things in, uh, to keep track of in my head. Jesus. Like what's for dinner? What's for lunch? What's for tomorrow's lunch? Okay, fine. Fine. Anyway. What's for tomorrow's dinner? Like uh, already now we're down a wormhole that I can't recover from. Well, listen, there's money in audiobooks. <laughs> I've, uh, I've, I, you've mentioned that before. That's very exciting yeah. development. So what I think I will do is send you a script for an audiobook. All right. Make it a good opener. It's a good opener one, Jack. <clears throat> B-G-G. There's your email address. It's Wait a minute. You gave the first two letters of my actual personal email address. I didn't mean to. It's not difficult to figure out the rest. I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. Here's a challenge I throw down to all listeners as Brian prepares this email. If you can figure out the rest of my email and contact me, I will send you a personalized Christmas card this holiday season. And if you're Jewish, that's not of interest to me. I will send you a Christmas card. If you can figure out the rest of my email address and none of these people who I like, I work with. I'm talking to you, John. I'm talking to you, Andrew, who already know my email address. You, you idiots don't count. I'm talking about John and Andrew Coke. You cannot send in Jack's email address. <laughs> There's so many other Coke brothers There's that we didn't know about. 1,206. I had no idea. Yeah. But you know, when you got, when you got a lot of money, you can have a lot of babies. That's right. People want to have babies with you. That's right. He, he went out and said, I'm going to have a baby for every founding father. Yeah. And he did it. And then he started feeling horny one day and then the rest came. It's just nuts. It's nuts. He went from, you know, like seven to 1,205. I've lost. Uh, uh, it's in the 12 teens now because Crazy. he's still going. He, he, he keeps finding new founding fathers. Good for that. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, there was, I mean, not bad at 86 Glibby Jenkins. Like who knew Glibby Jenkins was a founding father. Yeah. See that one feels like unresearched, but yep. he's like, oh, I, I promise. Trust me. I, I love America. Uh, and I'm people, like, I know you do, sir. So do I, you don't need to do research anymore, Jack. You just do it. You just, Court you just write the book about the history of America without actually knowing it. Who who are a couple of the other founding fathers? So, you know, uh, he had a kid named for like James Madison, yeah. um, one for John Hancock, but then yeah. there were a few others. Yeah. Who who were some of the other founding fathers that seemed a little questionable to you? Mr. Oblivious. <laughs> that that can't be right. Yeah, no, it was Mr. Oblivious. Yeah, I mean, his, his real name was Mortimer Oblivious. Okay. All right. Okay. Maybe, maybe I, I'm not a history buff. To that degree. Okay. Who else? And that's where the name, that's where the word oblivious, that's the etymology of the word. Oh, okay. 
Okay, I, I guess that's a founding father. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, some other questionable ones? Tracy Coconuts. <laughs> that's that's a dancer. That's a dancer in Atlantic City. I'm certain of it. Yeah, no, well, she's she was named after the original Tracy Coconuts, who was in w- one of the original colonists. <laughs> okay, she I'm was not chased sure out of England. Chased out of England because of her name. The she was just she was abused and she said, I'm getting out of here. Well, she said it in an English accent, of course. And she said, I'm getting out of here. You English people are so mean to me just because my name is Tracy Coconuts. And she came and to America and she helped found the she helped the founding fathers in obvious ways. <laughs> so did she sign the damn document or not? No, but she did a lap dance while Ben Franklin was signing it. Okay. That's why if you look at the old paintings of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, Uh you know, all the all the founding fathers are kind of turned as they're writing it because Tracy Coconuts is sitting in their lap kind of grinding and they're kind of turned with their quill. Just take a look Uh next time you see the painting and you'll see that they're turned and then you'll see Tracy Coconuts and, and, you know, what they considered, uh, you know, a bra back then. Right, which which is like what? It was two halves of a coconut, hence the name. <laughs> I I know Ben Franklin flew a kite that day. He did. Yeah, a box. That's kite. pretty exciting. <laughs> That's right. And who who is the? All right, so I I guess okay. Once again, I stand corrected. Just real quick before we start the bit that yeah. was planned. Yep. Could you just give me that third um, questionable uh, founding father who like didn't seem right? Yeah, absolutely. It's Frowny Pete. <laughs> His real name was, of course, Peter. But he okay, got the moniker I, back in the 1700s. It's Frowny Pete. He was always frowning. Is that because his like wife kept dying in childbirth? Uh, well, he's, he lost four wives in childbirth. Okay. Um, and then he lost his daughter mm-hmm. to Aww. childbirth. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. So basically, anytime he saw kids, he would frown because it just reminded him of all the deaths in childbirth. Man, sad story to end on. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it's a terrible. It's, it's just that's the way it was back then. The life expectancy hey. was much lower. If you got what to 26, you said, oh, it's been a good life. It's been a good life. Yeah, absolutely. You've more than doubled that. I have. I, I've doubled that. You've lived a great life. No, no, just it's just okay. It's just good. Okay, got plenty of energy. Well, I think you would turn Frowny Pete's frown upside down. I would, with a lap dance. <laughs> oh, all right, let's just let's just read. A, all right, a radio bit or whatever. No, it's an audio. So we have a chance to get some money uh, yes. from audiobooks from the publishing companies. You know, they have authors read their books, but sometimes they hire people. I've been hired in the past to read books for various people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I read their books and I get paid. It's great. And so we can get money for the podcast. Now I would love this gig, except I'm a member of the Audiobooks speakers union, uh, which okay. is like screen actors guild, but for audiobooks, So I can't mm. qualify. This is a non-union production. Mm-hmm. Um, but this particular uh, book, they want, they, they don't want to have the author uh, read it because the author is Paul McCartney. What? Yes. But he, he's really, I mean, he's busy and, you know, he's a little, it take a lot out of him to be reading this. So this is a Paul McCartney memoir uh, that and, he, and it's coming out and, and they want to have 
They want to have somebody read it. And I'm thinking you're the man for it. They, there's, they said, okay, we'd love to hear from Jack. Just make sure he can read it professionally. Uh, like an audiobook should be read. Sure. That's no problem. I, I may not be in some fancy union, but I, I'm really good at this. Okay. Then would you please take the audiobook excerpt that I just sent you and read it so we can basically audition you for this audiobook and make some money for the podcast? Okay. Absolutely. Um, the book apparently is called Paul McCartney, A Life. That's right. Take it away. Okay. All right. Here we go. And remember, you got to be professional. No giggling or anything or you lose the gig. Okay, all right, here we go, yeah, professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the enchanting labyrinth of our journey, an unexpected muse tiptoed into our world, one of the little people from The Wizard of Oz. It was during a chance encounter at a whimsical party in Norway that we met one of the actors who had played a munchkin in a timeless Hollywood film. Her name was Margaret. Her presence was a delightful revelation amidst laughter and tales spun from the golden era of cinema. Her stories charmed us. The vibrancy and joy she radiated planted a seed of inspiration. Artists are always looking for inspiration, and Margaret was a font of it. John couldn't help but notice that Margaret's breasts were the size of ping pong balls. At first, it was hard to tell because she was wearing a dress made from an umbrella cover. But when she switched outfits and donned a tighter fitting shirt made from an eyeglass cleaning cloth, her mammary grapes became, <laughs> became much more obvious. John turned to me and quietly said, that poor dwarf movie girl can't find a bra for her ping pong. <laughs> Damn. Uh, that poor dwar dwarf movie girl can't find a bra for her ping pong sized booblets. John was no stranger to small breasts. After all, he'd married an Asian. <laughs> Come on. He was determined to solve Margaret's problem. He dashed to the kitchen and returned a while later with a makeshift bra. He'd made it by cutting out two of the dimples from an egg carton. He fit Margaret's ping pong boobies into the egg carton dimples and secured it with a twist from a loaf of bread. Margaret was stunned by John's thoughtfulness and creativity. She must have been amazed at how crazy life could be. One minute, she was just a tiny woman dancing at a coffee table. The next minute, the second best beetle was crafting her a bra to keep her ping pong knobs in place. I've never told anyone that, uh, but that night was the night when John wrote Magical Mystery Tour. He was wholly inspired by Margaret, who was beyond grateful to John for making a bra for her lactation dots. <laughs> she was so grateful, in fact, that she crawled up his pant leg. As John walked around the party with a big smile on his face, guests were none the wiser that a microbabe was conducting a magical mystery of his trousers. <laughs> and even better, he knew Yoko wouldn't consider it cheating because she didn't believe little people were human. <laughs> Other songs written that night were She Loves You and Norwegian Woo. Wood. Wood. You have no D on there. I didn't do it, right? Paul wrote it. Yeah, he just has Nor Norwegian Woo. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Man, Paul McCarty with a big typo to end the bit. It's a big typo. It <laughs> That's doesn't a matter. Big typo. I mean, you lost this way earlier into it. Come Shame. On. I mean, it's it's so McCartney's voice. I, yep. I'll say that it's cl clearly he wrote this. Yep. Uh, his obsession with tiny breasts have always been well known. Mm -hmm. Well, we didn't get that one. Well, are there more opportunities later in the show? Quite possibly. Yay. 
You're listening to Questionable Material with Jack and Brian, a mostly improvised podcast produced in New York by Jack Helmuth and Brian Sack. QMPodcast.com. Hey, Brian. Hi, Jack. So, you know, in that last bit we just did, uh, yes. you talked about being in the, the union. Yeah. The, uh, what is it? The, uh, the, the book readers union? Uh, audiobook readers union. So I'm excited because I'll only work if I'm scabbing. Okay. So that's, uh, so I, I thank you for the opportunity to scab for this, for this book. I don't call it scabbing. I just call it trying to get some work. You know, the, oh. the union higher ups, they call it scabbing, but they've turned me off over the years. Okay. Well, I, well, I'm excited for the opportunity. I, I know I didn't get it. You know, what are some other sort of um, things that you guys fight for in your union? Because I, I know I'm in the Writers Guild of America. I'm also in SAG. Um, and so I know about our recent strikes and mm-hmm. what we were fighting for in those strikes. But, you know, in your latest strike uh, as a uh, audiobook reader, mm-hmm. <laughs> what were some of the things that you guys were striking for? Well, we I mean, we we want to insist to, to only read books that we agree with. <laughs> uh-huh. So, you know, I think it's, we, we shouldn't be asked uh, and paid lots of money to read a book with a topic that we're not uh, completely on board with. Mm-hmm. So either the author should adapt those words to accommodate us or that book just should not have an audiobook version because it could be hate speech. <laughs> it could be hate speech. I mean, if I disagree with it, yes. That's right. Well, that's, that's the definition. Yes. I hate what you said. There you go. It's hate speech. That's right. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Okay. That's a good thing for the union to fight for. Now, there is some certain, um, uh, you know, there's a fight over, you know, who could say what and when, I think, uh, with your union strike, if I remember reading that correctly, and all the trades I read about audiobook readers. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we, we insist that you can only read a character that you yourself are. Mm-hmm. So I could mm-hmm. never, of course, read for, say, a king because I'm not a king. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could never read the role of somebody in a, in a wheelchair or uh, a Mexican a man or uh, someone of uh, you know Hispanic descent uh, because I'm not any of those things. Man, that seems that seems a little limiting. I mean, could you? You're in your very early fifties. Could you read for someone in your late forties? Absolutely not. Uh, they would have what? to get somebody who's in their forties. You know, we want inclusion. Mm. And so if you, know, if I'm reading the role of somebody who's 10 years younger than I, mm-hmm. well, then I'm stealing a job from somebody who's 10 years younger. And that is not inclusive. That's right. <laughs> okay. Well, um, yeah. And you know what? They're having a really hard time doing the audiobook version of the invisible man. <laughs> yeah, I bet they are. Can't find him. Oh man. That's well, he he had a stroke. Yeah, he's lying somewhere and nobody can Leg help him. Somewhere on the ground. Yeah, and it's a matter of hours before that sets in permanently. So I know. Yeah, it's a shame. I, I mean, by it the time this airs, he's probably going to be completely incapacitated. Yeah. Which is going to make it even harder to find an invisible, incapacitated person to read the book. Yeah. So, so much for listening to that book on my way to into town. Yeah. I, I know you love listening to books on your way into town. Yeah. You know, I'm a big into town book listener. What's the top thing you do when you go into town? 
Well, I mean, to drive. Because mm-hmm. you have to. Sure. You know, I tried letting, you know, the autopilot take over so that I could just kick back and read a newspaper, do the crossword yep. puzzle, things like that. But I don't have a Tesla. So the car, you know, went off the road in a matter of seconds. Struck a guardrail, flipped around the opposite direction, all this head-on traffic coming at me. Right. So frightening. It is frightening. Well, especially because you weren't even in the driver's seat. No. Well, I, I thought I could kick back and relax in the back seat. I much prefer to kind of lie there and just do my thing, do the crossword. And Man. Wordle. Yeah. <laughs> and Wordle. So uh, your, your town must have been a little messed up that day. What was the sort of the fallout from that? Well, I mean, first of all, I broke my Wordle streak. Uh, because oh, I got shoot. so discombobulated that I never finished Wordle that day. Mm-hmm. Ironically, the word was crash. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. So I would have gotten it if I had paid attention, but you know, I get out of the wreck and I'm all flustered and people are saying who was driving, who was driving, who was driving. And I'm just, I just pointed to the car. And like, <laughs> yeah, we know that's the car. Who was driving it? Were you the driver? And I just kind of, you know, looked at them and, and said, I don't know what happened. Right. Well, you can honestly say that you weren't the driver. I was not. Yeah. I said, it's, it wasn't me. And they said, well, where's the driver? I'm like, I, I, I don't know. I guess the autopilot failed. And they're looking right. at it. They're like, that's not a Tesla. That's a Honda Civic from 1987. <laughs> and it's got a cassette player in it. For audiobooks. For audiobooks. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was listening to an audiobook from 1987. Right. What what was the, remind me what the book was again you were listening to? 1984. I was three years behind. <laughs> You're always three years behind in your reading. Yeah. I'm always three years behind. <laughs> oh gosh. All right. Well, yeah. So you've got this crowd around you. Yeah. And you're, and you're just blaming the car. Well, I mean, as much as I could, but a lot of people just started saying, uh, you were the driver, you were the driver, this is your car. And and then of course the, they called the police and I, could, I couldn't I could go anywhere. The car was was destroyed. The tire was all messed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy who hit me, uh, you know, he wasn't going to let me go anywhere. He was making, he was doing what everybody does these days. He was making a video of me. Ah. Uh. Just had the he had the phone on me, and I could tell he's making a video. He's he's trying to trying to keep me from getting away, and uh, so it was really. I hate being on camera like that when, when people are recording me, right? So I I get I get very agitated. I start you know saying things. What were you saying to him? What you looking at, cracker? Wait, <laughs> just to be clear, for new fans of the show, you're you're very white. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But okay. I don't, this is just how I react when I, when I have mm-hmm. a camera on, I say, what you looking at cracker? <laughs> and then I'll try to, I'll, I start break dancing. Cause I feel like I need to do something. Cause you know, I've got that, <laughs> that entertainer gene. Like when the camera's on yeah. you, you got to do something. Right. So I just started doing rocket <laughs> from the eighties Uh huh. and you know, and I'm making my own beatboxing. Right. Pretty cool. And I, yeah, I was doing that kind of the robotic dance kind of thing. And that's when people started to think I might be crazy. So they kind of back off. And that's when I'm thinking maybe I can get out of this scenario by getting the hell out of there. So did that work? 
No, because <laughs> the guy who is, whose car hit me after I spun mm -hmm. around, uh, he was apparently a long distance runner. Oh no. Yeah. He, he got the gold medal in the women's category. <laughs> so when I tried to run away, he just, he just caught up to me very quickly said, where are you right. going? Where are you going? Where do you think you're going? I said, I need to go home. I, I have, I have to help Milady. <laughs> he's like, why are you saying Milady? I'm like, because she's a princess. Oh, and if I don't help Milady, I'm going to get in my trouble. And he, he was having nothing to, he's, he said, you're waiting till the police come. I called the police. Oh. They're coming. This accident is completely your fault. I don't even think you were in the driver's seat. And that's when Reckless. I said, uh, it was like, okay, I was like, can you put the camera back on me? Uh -huh. and, and he did. And I said, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> what did that cracker say? Um, he said, how did you know my name is Willis? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Of all things. I know. Um, what, what's the odds of that? Because that's not a common name. No, He'd, it's not. Much higher chance his name would be Brinsley. <laughs> That's right. Statistically speaking. Yeah. But no, this, I, I, the one Willis in, in, in New York state and I managed ah. to have him plow into me. So what was he talking about? Well, he was talking about me not being able to leave until the police came. And Willis always talking about that. He's always big into the law enforcement. Both of them. Ooh, boy. Well, this has just been, uh, it's been a heck of a wake up call. It was, it, it made me realize I don't have a Tesla. <laughs> right. And I'm sorry to hear about your 87 Honda Accord. Was it Honda Civic? Honda Civic. Okay. The Accord was a little pricey. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it was three figures. It was three figures. Yeah. And so I needed, I needed something a little more affordable as we say in the cheap business. <laughs> yeah. That is often said in the cheap business. Yeah. So we, well, uh, poor Civic, the, the insurance company totaled it. Did they? They did. They declared it a total over the phone. Well, <laughs> that's great. So how much money did you get from the insurance company? Um, eight, 84,700. Oh, I, I forgot the decimal. Uh, 847. $847. Yes. <laughs> Which isn't bad because the blue book value was eight forty eight. Hey, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty. That's really really good. Well, Civics hold their value. They really do, especially thirty six year old ones. That eighty seven yeah. was a vintage year. It really. That's what I was told. Mm -hmm. How much did you pay for it out of pocket, though? Um, I won it actually. <laughs> you won the car. That's I, amazing. Yeah, I won it at the Westchester County uh, County Fair. Oh. Yeah. Like you, you knocked down three milk jugs or something. Well, they weren't, they were people. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a, you, you were throwing a uh, 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 circus uh, pegs at people or something. No, I, there was a, they had, a, it was like a BB gun set up. Okay. And so you would, you would stand there and then there have all these targets across the counter. And the yeah. guy comes and he, he loads up your gun with BBs and all of us, we all pay $5 each. Yeah. And I took it and I just turned to the guy next to me. And I said, give me your car keys. <laughs> and he gave me his car keys. 
Oh, okay. That's just so you know, that's not winning. Uh, it was a contest. It was at the county fair. I paid $5 and I walked away with a set of car keys to a 1987 Honda Civic. So I don't know what you'd call it, but I think it's winning. I, I have no argument for that. Did I win this one? You won this one as well. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Hi again, Brian. Hello, Jack again. Are you excited for the, uh, are we uh, long enough into the show that it's, it's 25 minutes in? I think we better do another uh, a bit. Oh my goodness. Yes, Jack. There is a potential audiobook that you could read. Okay. Give, give me a shot here. If you read it properly and professionally, as we've said many, many times, mm-hmm. you might get this gig and this gig would provide us with some, uh, some money. Okay. You broke. You were so excited about the idea of getting money. This one, I'm sending it to you right now. Oh, okay. I need to do your, uh, there's your email address. I'm going to put number two, cause that means it's the second audiobook. Mm-hmm. I just sent it. Now this one. Uh, is it's, it's so timely too. It's called, I have a story for you. And okay. it's a book written by Harvard president, Claudine Gay. Oh, my yeah. favorite. I yeah. love her. So she's been a little bit of a scandal, but she's got a book that she wants to kind of, it's like a, a history book, I guess. And, uh, if you just take it away, we might get this audiobook gig. So take it away. Okay. Here's the book, Brian. I have it. I've opened it. I've never read this before. Yeah. Uh, this is, I have a story for you written by Claudine Gay. Is that yes, right? It is. Oh, okay. Here we go. <laughs> Four score and seven years ago, our fathers <laughs> brought forth on this continent, a new nation conceived in Liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. I wrote this all by myself. <laughs> oh. Didn't get that one. A weird thing to put at the end. It's almost like it's defensive. Yeah. I mean, she had, you know, she had some good momentum going. And then she sort of says that thing at the end. It's like, we know, let the words speak for your, your work. Now I know why she got the job because she's a heck of a writer. She's really good. That's a very powerful, well-written piece of prose. Yeah, really good. good well, I hope I did it justice, but I, I know I didn't get us the money. Yeah, you, sorry. Had a, you had a couple of little chuckles in there. <sighs> Not professional, sadly. Not professional. That's, I'm never going to get in the union now. Damn. Hey, Brian. Hi, Jack. So I, I know, you know, we've talked about this on the show in the past, but you are a prolific screenwriter. Would, would you say that's right? I do write. I write. Yeah, I'm a writing machine. I write a lot of screenplays. I, uh, yeah, it's for me, it's just, it just comes easy. I just sit down mm-hmm. at my laptop or typewriter or uh, the uh, Casio computer, any, whatever it is. Uh, and I sit down, I just start tapping. And next thing I know, I've got a screenplay. That's, that's impressive. I, I think it's very hard to do to, you know, to get that structure out. And I, I, I'm very impressed by your um, abilities. Now, I, I know this is a busy season for you because you've been cranking out a lot of uh, Christmas specials for the various networks out there. Yeah. I was wondering if you could talk about some of your, um, your upcoming screenplays that are getting made this season. Would, would you mind doing that? Love to. Yeah. So, so what I have here, Brian, is I have a list of all of the holiday movies that you yourself have written that are coming out this holiday season. I was wondering, would you mind just sort of telling us about, uh, I'm going to tell you the title of the yeah. movie that you've written. Yeah. Would you mind telling us like what network it's on and what it's about, stuff like that? Of course, I'm proud of what I've written for those networks. 
That's that's really amazing. So uh, the first one that I, I see uh, coming up soon, it's I think it's airing this weekend, is Santa Claus is coming to divorce court. Santa, yes, yeah, Santa Claus is coming to divorce court. Well, that seems like a a, a bummer. What what network is that for? It's for uh, True TV. <laughs> okay, I guess, okay, I guess so. It's good that they have something other than the Impractical Jokers on the yeah, air. Yeah, yeah, it's their other hit show. That's really exciting, and, and it's a movie, which is even weirder. So, yeah. so what? Okay, Santa Claus is coming to divorce court. What's what's the movie about? Uh, the movie, well, the movie is is set in divorce court, mm-hmm. obviously, uh, mm-hmm. and this couple's court date is on the twenty fifth of December, <laughs> which is just <laughs> nuts, right? Yeah, it's a weird premise. But go yeah. ahead. and and so they <laughs> passed a new law that courts are open on Christmas Day. And uh, how how do you get that fact into the movie? Well, (laughs) is there an opening scroll? Well, it starts. Yeah, because it's basically it starts the same folks who declared that there's a purge once a year. Yeah. (laughs) Also declared that courts were open on Christmas Day. Okay, that's a fun way to open a movie. Yeah, because it's it's made by the producers of The Purge. Okay, continue. That should be interesting. So, um, so you got this couple. It's the Evans couple, okay. Tim and Barbara Evans, and they're getting divorced, mm-hmm. and it's nasty because mm-hmm. you know they 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 had a huge falling out. Uh, Tim had a mistress for seven years. Oh. Barbara found out, and so she was devastated, and okay. so she just wanted to take him to the cleaners. Yeah, of course. So, and so then they have these, but they're both squandering so much money on lawyers. Yep. Yep. And, and it's such a shit, you know, so they're all this money and they've got two kids and, you know, money that should be going to the kids is going to these sleazy divorce lawyers. Oh. Okay. And so the, the proceedings going on and the dragon out's Christmas day and no one wants to be there. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you hear this cacophony up on the roof of the courthouse. It's a <gasps> And then you, you hear like all these snorting of, of reindeer. What? And then you hear, and then some kind of, some kind of sounds. And then there's a small explosion. And then you hear these heavy footsteps coming down the stairs of the courthouse. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And then all, they're all the bailiff and everybody's sitting there and the bailiff starts walking towards the door of the courthouse right. to kind of sort out what's going on. The door blows open. An explosive charge, C4. His arms come flying off. He staggers back. He's staring at his stumps. He's in shock. He turns to the jurors, this pained expression, and they just start shrieking. They don't know what's going on. And he falls over. Of course, he's bleeding out like a Russian uh, on the front. You know, he's just, he's got no chance. It's Mm -hmm. obvious. The judge kind of looks up and whips his gavel towards the door. It's the only (laughs) weapon he has. And in bursts Santa Claus. Oh, and Santa Claus has a giant sack of toys over his back. Yep. And Classic. Pe- people are like, okay, well, what's going on here? I mean, they, the bailiff seems to be dead, but here's Santa Claus. Santa Claus reaches in his backpack or his sack and, yeah. and comes out backpack. and just starts throwing stuff. These presents throws one at the judge. Boom. Blows up. He falls down, throws one at the lawyer. Boom. He's all boom, boom. And it basically kills everyone except for Tim and Barbara. <laughs> and he just turns to them and they're kind of taking it all in this carnage, this bloodshed everywhere. Yeah. Smoke, smoke in the air. 
and they're waiting to, for Sandy to finish them off. And he just looks at them and he goes, I want you to have a Merry Christmas. Oh, Barbara, I need you to forgive Tim for his mistress. Oh, and Tim, I need you to forgive Barbara for humping the pool guy every summer for the last 12 years. And oh. this is all news to Tim. Yeah, I would imagine so. So Tim's like, what the fuck, Santa? And he turns, and then Santa just kind of puts on this grin and laughs. He goes, I see everything. Everything. Then he takes out a present, throws it at Tim, blows off Tim's head. So it's just Barbara standing there. <laughs> okay. And she's like, thank you, Santa. And he goes, that's all I get. And then it just ends. <laughs> what? That's how it ends. That's how it. <sighs> it's leaving it up to the viewer. It's like triangle <laughs> of sadness. Do that. It's like the ending of triangle of sadness. It kind of leaves you to guess what happened. Oh my God. Wow. Thank you. Is that's not what I said. Is there an after credit sequence? Yes. <laughs> What's the after credits, a little Easter egg thing? Well, you see what looks like a little elf. Uh-huh. Kind of looks like Santa. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then the camera pulls back and nursing that little elf is Barbara. <laughs> and then you realize it's not an elf, it's just a baby. Right. Barbara gave birth to a child. Mm-hmm. Nine months later. <laughs> Whew. That's a tough one. It was it was tough to get financed, yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing you're taking advantage of True being so desperate for content. They, uh, I said, this is your chance. You've got impractical jokers and nothing else. Let me make a mark on this network. Let me well, give you my all. You've done that. Thank you. Tim and Barbara Evans. Okay. Uh, uh, your uh, next movie that I see coming up, uh, I think it's next Wednesday, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken, is Christmas on Mars. Christmas on Mars. Yes. That was um, a, okay. It was a discovery channel. It's on discovery. Okay. Yeah. That's so doesn't Disco- sound like their typical fare, but okay, go ahead. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's like a science based. Yeah. Okay. Discovery is all I, about I science. Yeah, so Christmas on okay. Mars. So yeah. Starts with a, uh, Christmas morning says December 25th, Christmas morning. Sure. And you see a little boy and he's lying in bed and one eye, he, he just kind of one eye opens up and he kind of looks around. He sees this, this little morning light there. So it's more, he's so excited. He's about seven or eight years old and he gets up and he jumps out of bed and he runs out of his room and he runs down the hallway and he sneaks into his sister's room Ugh. and she's eight years old, a little, just a okay. year older. And he shakes sure. her and wakes her up. And she's like, it's, like, it's Christmas day. It's Christmas day. It's Christmas day. And they're like, oh my goodness. And, and then, so they, they both run downstairs and they creep past their parents. They don't want to wake up the parents and they go downstairs and they're like, they look and under the trees, a whole bunch of presents. Rad. And they're like, oh my, Santa was here. Santa was here. And they're like, oh my God, maybe he's still here. And so they run to the front door of the house and they open it. It's minus 159 Celsius <laughs> and low oxygen. Uh-huh. So immediately they start to hyperventilate. They can't breathe and they're starting to freeze. And uh, they, they kind of step outside and they stagger into the alien 
scape that is Mars. Right. And oh, the red no. dirt. And slowly they realize their mistake. They've opened the front door. They're on Mars. It's not life sustainable. Right. And they turn around to stagger back into the house, but they lose consciousness. Oh. And they fall down and they slowly freeze. Their bodies freeze. And then in the background, you see the Mars rover just kind of <laughs> walking by the house. Walking by? Rolling. It's on tracks or wheels. I, I appreciate how, how well you research your movies. Go ahead. You get busy when you're writing. You can't, you can't just, you know, sit there on Wikipedia all day. You got to get this stuff out. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. you know, the parents are still upstairs. Mm-hmm. but the integrity of the house has been compromised and they pass away in their sleep. <laughs> That's it. It's it's about science. It's discovery channel. I mean, we're teaching you about science. You can't survive on Mars without a s- space suit. You know, yeah. you need to be inside a habitat. You can't compromise your habitat or you die. That's a very, you know, that's a lesson we're going to have to learn sooner or later. <laughs> we we are going to have to learn that sooner or later. Wow. That's, that's an unforgettable movie. Thank you. How, how long is this feature length film? Well, I mean, it, it's supposed to be uh, obviously a feature length. Ideally you want 90 minutes to, to two hours. Yeah. Uh, this was a little quick. Okay. So, so like 90. So, well, what, so after we see our initial scene and we watch the parents slowly expire, not even realizing what's happened, uh, we go back to the Mars Rover uh-huh. and then it just it's takes just- us on a journey, a Christmas journey across the Mars scape at a very slow pace, obviously, because it's a Mars Rover. Right. So the, the final 87 minutes of that sucker is just, um. <laughs> it's just uh Mars footage that you maybe took off the internet and and soil samples. That's exciting. That's very Christmassy. It's cold. <sighs> it's cold. It's colder cold. than the North Pole. <laughs> well, that seems like uh a movie. Um good job, I guess. Didn't Thanks. see. And now I see why it doesn't take long to write these. I mean, you got to get them out there. I I'm on a I'm on a schedule. Okay. I have all these networks so. coming to me. They're like, Brian, can you write this? Of course I can write this. I'll get this done. Yeah. Get her okay. done. That's my tagline on my business card. That's very uh, original and awesome. Get here done. That's great. Get here done. Get here done. I actually took it from a barber. <laughs> get hair a, done. It was a template from a barber's uh, business card. And I took and so, it. It's. Seems like you really like to do the bare minimum. Um, I just have to get back to screenwriting. It's a passion. <laughs> so if I'm going to waste time scrolling through all these different job titles on a stupid mm-hmm. business card template, I'm wasting valuable time that could be dedicated towards telling stories. Telling stories like The Little Drummer Girl, your next Christmas movie in, in the hopper coming up, um, I think the night before Christmas. Go ahead and what's The Little Drummer Girl? It's the, Normally it's The Little Drummer Boy, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. This is The Little Drummer Girl. Great Hollywood twist. I love it already. Go ahead. Uh, well, uh, this is on Bravo. <laughs> and so The Little Drummer Girl is about uh, Clifton. Okay. 
who grows up in a middle-class household in the Northeast United States. Love it. And he goes to, he goes, he's in school and it's around Christmas time. And um, he wants to play in the school play. Okay. And the school play kind of has a holiday theme and there's a little drummer boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he, he auditions for it and he gets the role of the little drummer boy. Yep. Uh, on the same day that he's approved for uh, cross-sex hormones. <laughs> so that's a big day for this. Kid. It's a huge day. So he gets his drum, his snare drum and his drumsticks and his cross-sex hormones, which he starts <laughs> taking. And then it just shows that, you know, as they're rehearsing the course of the, uh, the two weeks they're rehearsing for this, the, the holiday production, they don't say Christmas, they say holiday production. Sure. Because it includes all the major holidays, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. And, and so uh, Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and Christmas. And so um, as you watch, as the week progresses, uh, he slowly starts to take on the characteristics of a lady. Oh. So, you know, he has little breasts and less of a mustache. You know, the facial hair goes away. And mm-hmm. by the end, uh, he's got a beautiful voice. Oh. Oh, rum pa bum bum. Oh. Look at my bum. <laughs> okay. So what's the what's the climax of the movie? Exactly. <laughs> the band teacher takes a liking to the little drummer girl. Oh, come on. No. No, it's the holiday season. Yeah, well, it's Bravo. <laughs> it's Bravo. So, so it's so. Uh, who who plays the little drummer boy uh, before and after? Who did you get to star in the movie? Um, Elliot Page. <laughs> <laughs> and that's playing the little drummer boy. Yeah, we're doing it because it's kind of a Victor Victoria thing. Yes. I, I know our demo will get that, which is exciting. What uh, and, and who did you get to play when the boy becomes the girl? Who did you get to play the girl part? Rip Torn. <laughs> uh, you might get some letters on that one. Um, Already have. <laughs> I bet, mostly from the Torn family saying, how did you get this footage of our dead relative? Yeah. They're like, why would you bring Rip into this nonsense? I mean, the money you must have spent on a rib torn hologram must have destroyed the budget of this film. Yeah, most of the budget went to that. We didn't have a lot of money for actors, which is why we we just got them from, uh, you know, the local theater, community theater, mm-hmm. people who are willing mm-hmm. to perform for free. Um, the sets we just used wherever we could. Sure. Like an abandoned school in Detroit. <laughs> oh, you mean a school in Detroit? Yes. Okay. Yeah, there's no money there. No, I know that's not at all. Um, okay, well, so the little drummer girl coming out on Bravo. You know, good luck with that. Thank you. Do, do we have time for one more, Brian? Sure. Can we squeeze one more in of there? Course. Okay, thank you. I, I'm so excited about this one. Um, so the, our final movie that we're going to talk about um, that you wrote that's coming out on Christmas Day. So excited for this. It's called The Muppets Last Christmas Ever. Yes. Now, I, I don't know why you are so obsessed with making Muppet movies. And they have done a lot of Christmas content over the years. 
but you felt the need to tell the tale of the Muppets. I think it's called the last Christmas ever. Yes. Yep. Go ahead and tell us what this movie's about. I'm so interested about this new Muppet movie that you wrote. Well, um, I was inspired. Uh, and so this movie is basically, it's the Muppets. It's, it is the Muppets last Christmas. Okay, uh, I don't know makes, what that means. Makes you kind of wonder, what, what does that mean? Well, so for Christmas, where did Christmas come from? Uh, I don't know. Good question. Bethlehem. Bethlehem, of course. So Kermit has the idea he's going to get the whole gang and they're going to go to Bethlehem. <laughs> Crazy road trip. Okay. Crazy road trip to Bethlehem where Jesus, yep. was, Jesus was in a manger. Yes. And they're going to go and they're just going to take in the entire Christmas spectacle. Once in a lifetime thing. Problem is they don't have the money to get there. Uh Uh-oh. So they do a GoFundMe. Okay. And they have a Go, it's called, they call it GoFundUs in the movie. And they have a GoFundUs. And the GoFundUs is ostensibly to raise money uh, for, to to buy drones for Ukraine. (laughs) And they raise $210,000. Okay. And they take that $210,000 and they put it towards first class tickets on El Al, <laughs> the Israeli airline. Uh-huh. And they, they all hop aboard the plane and they fly to Israel to go to Bethlehem. Right. For and Christmas. They, to, for Christmas. Because this is where Jesus came from, was born. Yeah. This is where it all yeah. started. That's right. All the Abrahamic religions right there. That's right. And where so the original colonizer came they from. They get there and they, there's all these shenanigans on the plane, of course, first class, things like that. And then they yeah. get to Israel and they, they're like, let's go to, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's. And so they, and they're, they're running around and then there's all these crazy shenanigans. I love shenanigans. And there they are at the, where they think the manger was. Yeah. And so they're just standing around and they're, and they're, can you believe this? Can you, this is where it all started. Where it all started. This is where it all started. And then in the background, you just kind of see it like getting closer and closer. <laughs> Are these like something's in the air? We don't know what it is. <laughs> I and hope it's Santa. That's what everybody in the audience was hoping. And so <laughs> they're just dancing around and they're, and then slowly it gets closer and closer. And you see, mate, let's can't be sent. There's more than that. There's way too many reindeer. What's going on here? And they start coming in on paragliders. And then the parag- you know, next thing you know, you hear gunshots and gunfire. They all start looking around like, what's going on? What's go-? And then there's just total chaos. And then, you know, then the, the true reality hits them. You all right? Yeah, I'm so sad. <laughs> go ahead. I'm concerned for the Muppets. Go ahead. Yeah. And rightly so. <laughs> And so the Muppets scatter and one by one, we follow each individual Muppet (sighs) as they are murdered (laughs) uh, by Islamofascist crazies, crazy people, one by one. And they, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, and every time they're killed, you, you hear like bong, that's the sound (laughs) that they're going to heaven. Yeah, sure. And where Jesus is now. Mm-hmm. You know, because the the irony being, they went to go see where he came from, and they're going to where he is. He is that's right. The, so that's the whole irony of it. Uh, and so, and then, Smart. Um, you know, so it's a horrible tragedy mm-hmm. for about twelve minutes, <laughs> and then you see people 
cuts back to New York and the Muppets have been murdered and people are like, hooray, the Muppets have been murdered. Hooray. And it's just kind of, you, you get, you start going like, wait, this is, feels weird. This is, un, yeah. you know, un, it's uh, uh, uncomfortable. Yeah. And they're holding up signs, you know, dead Muppets. Yeah. You know, you deserved it. Muppets, that kind of stuff. And, and so um, then we cut to the Ivy league campuses. Okay. And there is more of the, you know, hooray for the people who killed the Muppets. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're glad they're gone. That kind of stuff. That's terrible. It is terrible. It would be so awful. Uh, Yeah. And, uh, and we don't know how it ends. (laughs) Just leave it open. That's why you, that's a bad choice for a movie. I would think. Well, we'll find out. Now, how did I, I just, I need to know as a fan, I have a, a, a Swedish chef doll around here somewhere. Um, how, what, what happens to the Swedish chef? I need this, to know. Well, um, you know, the, the murderous psychopaths mm-hmm. really don't take into consideration your ethnicity or anything like that. There's just a blanket assumption that you should be killed. Right. Uh, and so he just says, you know, don't shoot, shoot, shoot. And and then they they just open up on him. He's That's sad. Staggers out of his car, and and you know and just falls down to the ground. And then they just they there's a lot of praising God because that's what God likes. That, that is now um, we're we're Bert and Ernie because I know they're big uh, supporters of uh, ending the occupation. They're they're big free Palestine people. Yeah. Did Bert and Ernie sort of come in solidarity and say, we're with you. We're with you. We love. Yay. It's funny. Cause they, uh, all the way from the top of the building from which they were pushed until the ground, uh, they were just supporting what was happening to them. It was, it was amazing. Great. That's, scene. That sounds like a great scene. Well, that's, that sounds like a holiday movie. I want to take my kids to God. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> I bet. Well, great job, Brian, and Thanks. happy holidays. No, heck with it. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you, Jack. Thanks. I'm so sad about the Muppets. Yeah, that's uh, the audience feedback was pretty much only that. Well, Brian, we are at the end of our show, and you know what that means. It's the over. <laughs> yes, that's true. This is going to be a long one. Uh, we need to get on our the third sponsor bit that I will not fail on. And I will get money and I will end the show on a a rare, happy note. Okay. That would be great. If you're not going to fail on it, then I'm going to send you the third script, which could make us a chunk of money if you can read it, you know, professionally. I I won't fail. And I'm going to say it. I can't fail. You can't fail. Do not fail. Can't do it. I won't. All right. This, the book I'm sending you that they'd like you to read for is called Arizona Skies. Hmm. It's a Western Oh, the fun. Western novel. They're bringing back the Western novels. Okay. And uh, if you can read this professionally, uh, we can get us some some much needed money for the podcast. Okay. Arizona Skies. Please yeah. count me down. Let's end the show with a win. Here we go. Audiobook in three, two, one. Amidst the billowing dust and echoing gunfire, Caleb's mind wandered to an unexpected distraction. The incessant discomfort of his saddle. The chaotic ambience of the shootout faded into a distant murmur as his thoughts fixated on the persistent ache in his bum. Bullets whizzed past him like angry hornets, ricocheting off barrels and kicking up clouds of dirt. Yet, 
in that cacophony of chaos, Caleb's focus veered toward the relentless pinch in his backside, a consequence of hours spent astride his trusty but decidedly unforgiving saddle. Why, my bum, why? With each sharp crack of gunfire, he winced, not from fear, but from the sharp twins shooting up his spine. His attention wavered from the impending danger to the absurdity of a discomfort that persisted amid a life-threatening confrontation. He was in mortal combat with the Dalton gang, but all he could think about was wanting to yell at his bum for being ouchy. The saddle was an unyielding tormentor that seemed intent on upstaging the perilous showdown. Amid the symphony of gunfire, Caleb took cover behind a splintered wagon, attempting to recalibrate his focus on the imminent threat. Yet, even as he aimed his Colt revolver with steely resolve, his ass ache persisted, a stubborn reminder of the mundane amidst the mayhem. If Bums had ears, he'd hit, he'd give his an earful. But Bums don't have ears, unless you draw them on with a sharpie. With a resolve hardened by discomfort, Caleb leaned out from cover, his mind divided between the exigencies of the... What is that word? Exigenesis. Exigenesis of the shootout and the inexplicable vexation of his saddle. (laughs) The battle raged on, a collision of wills and firepower, while Caleb found himself oddly preoccupied by the trivial yet persistent sting that marred an otherwise epic moment. His arch rival, Wyatt, turned him from behind taunted him from behind cover. What's the matter, deputy? It's my bum, said Caleb. My bum hurts, but it doesn't have ears, so I can't let it know how much. Anyhow, you're under arrest. Well, if I surrender, it's only a matter of days before I meet the hangman's noose, said Wyatt. But I have a deal for you. If you let me go, I'll massage your bum the way no no woman can. With my manly manly outlaw hands. Let me think about it, said Caleb. I just need a second because my bum hurts. Well. Western. It feels like it was written by someone who has a word a day calendar and yet is like four years old. Yeah, good point, because exogenesis (laughs) and bums. (laughs) It's a weird, yeah, it's a juxtaposition that doesn't, yeah. disconcerting. Yeah, I feel a lot of vexation over the inclusion of such disparate words. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, well, to please tell the author. I, as as the author of The Muppets Last Christmas Ever, maybe you could reach out to this person and let them know that it's a real shit show. <laughs> I'll let them know. Oh, good, please do. Oh, is it a trans person? Huh? I'll let they then. All right. It's better. Hey, you people listening. Enough of your nonsense, people listening. I have not seen a new review since October, since like the beginning of October on our Apple podcast page. So go review us. If you don't like the show, still, no, actually, don't review the show. Go review Andrew Heaton's show. But if you like the show, we need your reviews and five star ratings. Speaking of Andrew Heat, we're doing we're doing some stuff on his Christmas show, yeah. his political orphanage Christmas special. It's a great show, and everyone should uh, tune in. It will be. I, a I lot wrote of fun. a I wrote a sketch for it. Uh, I'm, I'm I, obsessed by, by people with stupid, pretentious names. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, I bet it's a funny sketch. You're a funny sketch, Brian. 
Here's to the champions. <laughs> Review us. Goodbye. And all, and all that. And, <laughs> Questionable material with Jack and Brian. Subscribe on any podcast platform. Visit us at qmpodcast.com. 